Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. All right. Well, I guess that would be me, and I guess this would be the show. Welcome back to Red Rock Relationships. I appreciate everyone who's been listening uh, thus far. We are really just now starting to get warmed up and ready to talk about some really important communication issues. Uh, Last week, we spent some time uh, with uh, Stephen and Janet Hall talking about their book related to uh, relationship satisfaction. We have another guest of ours who happened to write a book on his area of expertise. And I promise this will be the last time that I plug someone's book on this show. I don't want folks thinking that I'm a that I'm a sales rep, but uh, I am thrilled to be joined by what I would consider to be the godfather of affection research in Dr. Uh, Corey Floyd. Uh, Corey, thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure. All right. Well, today we're going to talk about some affection. Uh, issues, and I will preface by saying uh, two important things. Uh, first of all, uh, there's so much on my notes right now that I just don't know how we're going to get through all of it. Uh, we're going to try, but uh, the second thing that I want to say is related to this. This is actually the first of a two-part saga on affection. So next week we're going to have uh, someone who you and I are both very familiar with, Dr. Lisa Van Ralta. We're going to talk specifically about things like cuddling and some of the ways in which we engage in affection, but. Today's episode is more about what affection is and what affection is not and what it looks like when people show it and maybe some of the the ramifications of too much or too little affection. So um, how does that sound to you? Excellent. Good, good. Well, why don't we start the way that we always start by allowing you the opportunity to introduce yourself and uh, explain kind of uh, how you got to this area of research, what, uh, what drove you to do it, and maybe a little bit about your history too. Sure. I'm Corey Floyd. I'm a professor of communication at the University of Arizona, and this is my, oh, 28th year of teaching or or something ridiculous like that. Uh, and, and when I first started studying communication, I, I really was intrigued by the question of affection because I had grown up in a very affectionate family. And when I became an adolescent or a young adult, I recognized that even though I really appreciated and enjoyed sharing affection with other people. Not everybody else did. And I was very confused by that. I really had a hard time understanding how anybody could not want or crave affection. I thought it was the best thing in the world. And so it was that confusion, it was that question that resurfaced for me when I started graduate school in communication. And I realized that that would be uh, an interesting question to investigate, and and here I am, all these years later, still studying it. Well, cool. We're going to spend some time talking about the theory and the the studies that you've developed in support of that. But first, again, book plug time. Uh, Dr. Floyd uh, wrote a phenomenal uh, wrote a phenomenal book called The Loneliness Cure: Six Strategies for Finding Relational Connections in Your Life. Our last guest, I think they had 15 steps for relationship satisfaction. That's a big number, so six is a little bit more compact. Um, I highly recommend getting it. Again, very affordable book on Amazon. Really uh, interesting drenched within theory, but presented in a way that folks who are not experts can read it and, and really take away information. So that's me plugging a book again. <laughs> so go out and um, go out and get uh, Corey's book because it, it really is a fantastic read. 
Something that you forgot to mention in your bio is how we know each other, and uh, we actually shared some space at Arizona State University together before you left us for the bad Arizona University. Um, and, and granted, granted. <laughs> and during that time, uh, you are actually the person who taught me multivariate statistical analyses. So uh, yeah, I, I apologize for that, but I love you know, the we, class. We spent some we spent some good time together at, at Arizona mm-hmm. State and and learned a lot and had some fun and those are some good years. Yeah, one thing I'll never forget is that on the statistics final, which was an in-person paper final by memory, uh, one of the extra credit questions was uh, something about a, a correction that you can perform on on a MANOVA analysis, uh, and I, th- I think it's greenhouse geyser correction and I, I put greenhouse gas effect and you still gave me credit for that so hey, I it's close enough close enough I'll be grateful for that for the remainder of my academic career we should probably talk about the thing that we're supposed to be talking about today so uh, so let's get into it um, in my preparation for this episode I was perusing to see what information is available to lay folks uh, when they look up things like what is affection and uh, how important is affection and I found some really interesting stuff uh, one of the most important things that I saw is that in the year 2020 we find that more Americans are living alone than ever before and as such more Americans feel lonelier than they ever have um, in you know in the time that we've been collecting these data, and a lot of it relates to this thing called affection starvation, touch deprivation, or my personal favorite, skin hunger. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about what affection is and how it relates to things like loneliness and skin hunger and the desire that people have for this sort of connection. Sure. You know, when we talk about affection in and of itself, we really are referencing an emotional experience. It's a feeling that we have of caring for or loving or experiencing fondness for someone else. So that part of the experience is internal to us. It's something that we feel. And then so much of my research has been focused on affectionate communication. So the behaviors that we use to express that feeling to others, and we can do that by the things that we say, certainly, or or that we write or text. Uh, often we do that non-verbally, like by holding hands or hugging someone. And we can even do that through supportive gestures, uh, doing favors for someone uh, as a way of showing them how much we care about them. And most of us have a variety of strategies that we use in our lives to express our feelings of love and fondness for for other people. And I really have come to think about the need to give and receive affection as being fairly fundamental to the human experience. We don't have very many needs in our lives that we would consider truly fundamental. You know, we need to eat, we need to sleep, we need to breathe oxygen and drink water. And I have come to a point where I actually consider giving and receiving affection to belong on that list. Not that we all need the same amount of affection of affection in our lives any more than we all need the same amount of sleep, but we all need some. Mm. And when we find ourselves in situations when either by choice or involuntarily, like so many people are experiencing right now, when we don't have the opportunity to give and receive the amount of affection that we want, then we can feel that state of loneliness or 
social disconnection or skin hunger, which really refers more to a, a lack of touch. Mm-hmm. And, and so many people I've heard during this time of quarantine have said, you know, they really never understood that experience before now, but now they're just yearning for hugging or handholding or putting their arms around the people that they love. And when we feel that sense of depra- deprivation, that's when it really comes home to us. It's when that point is really driven home, how important those things are in our lives and how much we miss them when we don't have them. Yeah, you know, I think back to, and I think you may actually include this in the interpersonal communication textbook that you've authored. I think about the King Frederick experiment back in the 13th century, uh, where uh, he, I mean, it's, it's awful what he did, but essentially what he did is he had a bunch of infants placed in a room and refused to give them anything other than like the basic sustenance that they need to live. There was no touch, there was no affection, there was no communication or talking of any kind. And unfortunately those babies, um, met their end in infancy. Every one of them. Yeah, every, every one, one of them. them. It was obviously a very unethical experiment, <laughs> but uh, but research even since that time has shown that when, especially when young children are placed in situations like in orphanages, for example, where they are lacking the amount of touch that most of us receive in the course of our, our normal normal development, it really stunts their growth. And I don't just mean their physical growth, although that's part of it, but it stunts their immune system and it absolutely can stunt their psychological development and their Mm -hmm. ability to trust other people and form close relationships when they get older. That's how important those forms of affection are not only early in our lives, but but throughout our lives. Absolutely, it, it makes me think of the the famous Harlow monkey experiment where there were a bunch of infant monkeys and they were presented with two options uh, among many others. But in uh, what I wanna talk about is they had two options. They could go to a cloth covered false mom or they could go to a robot mom that had food for them and they resoundingly chose the cloth mother because it resembled the feeling of a real mom. And so they chose that over sustenance, which I think is extremely telling. And I think it speaks to what you were getting at in terms of the the biological need that human beings and other creatures have to receive affection. And this kind of leads into the theory that you composed uh, several years ago, affection exchange theory, which is rooted within this bioevolutionary perspective. So I'm, I'm hoping you can take a couple of minutes and break down that perspective as well as sure. what the theory suggests. So affection exchange theory, or AET, really tries to answer the question of why people express affection to each other. Why is this something that's part of our human behavioral repertoire, for instance? And and then what sort of effects does that have? And the answer that the theory gives is that for human beings, close relationships are really important to our ability to survive and to reproduce. They protect us, they provide us companionship, and often they they provide us reproductive opportunity in the, in the form of romantic relationships. And affectionate behavior is one of the most important behaviors we use to form and maintain those relationships. And so the theory suggests that the tendency to be affectionate, the very reason that we do it in the first place, is because it's adaptive in an evolutionary sense. So in the larger picture of our lives, it really does contribute to our ability to survive and to reproduce. 
That's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because I think it's something that's often overlooked. If you talk with uh, people about needs, right? We often think of like hunger and clothing and shelter and those very most basic primal needs. But I mean, if you go where the evidence points you, we really do have that same biological primal need for something like affection. Um, and from a theoretical standpoint, you know, there's a lot of things, right, uh, that, that, that this can point to. I mean, if you look at some of the studies that you and your program of research have done, we see that when we receive and give physical affection at the appropriate desired level, we're talking about lowering blood pressure, uh, the release of excess dopamine, the reduce of cortisol, which is the stress hormone, so we feel less stressed when we do it. And of course, in our relationships, we tend to be more satisfied when we receive the affection that we're looking for. And I think that the importance of these issues can't be stressed enough, which sort of leads us into the practical segment of the show um, and, and specifically related to your book, The Loneliness Cure. Um, can you maybe give us the quick elevator speech on what that book discusses? Sure. So it gets back to the point I made a few minutes ago, which is that because affection is so necessary in our lives, we suffer when we find ourselves deprived of affection. And that may be for any number of reasons, um, but we all can find ourselves in situations when we feel disconnected from other people. And so the loneliness cure is in part about why that kind of experience is so distressing to us. Why are things like loneliness and social isolation so problematic for human beings and in what ways? And then it's also partly about what are some things some types of strategies that people can use to improve their situation when they find themselves either for one reason or another lacking that sense of connection that they really desire. And so I offer six different strategies and not all of them are going to be applicable to every person or every situation, but they can all provide people some measure of efficacy, some sense of there's at least something that I can do to improve my situation instead of just being resigned to the fact that I'm, I'm simply going to be lonely now. I think that's uh, tremendous stuff because, as we said, so many more Americans are feeling lonely now than ever. And then if you want to go even darker than that, if you look at the psychological makeup of sociopaths and people who are prone to high violence, what we often find is that they were deeply deprived of these sorts of experiences in their formative years. Um, and unfortunately for a lot of folks, it becomes too late. But then we can learn, right? We can learn not just as individuals, but from a societal standpoint about how to properly treat human beings from an affectionate standpoint. And I think that that warrants discussion for sure. Um, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about uh, toxic masculinity which in my opinion is very closely related to expressions of affection. And for the listeners at home, I wanna clarify one thing. Uh, there are misconceptions about the term toxic masculinity. Some folks uh, will assert that the idea of toxic masculinity is nested in the thought that masculinity itself is toxic. Um, we can understand toxic masculinity as existing societally. So much in the way that uh, many women are pressured to be thin and in shape and attractive and look good and presentable, so too does society put pressure on men. Uh, it's slightly different though. They put pressure on men not to do things like express emotion, especially things like sadness and fear. Uh, they they uh, 
assert that the stronger physically you are, the more of a man you are. And there's a variety of other potential um, traditionally masculine behaviors that are over-enforced by our society. And these over-enforcements are toxic. They result in people not being able to fully emotionally grip with their own identity. And if men look around and see that they cannot form or perform these traditionally masculine techniques and practices, they feel like less of a man. And of course, one of the things that men are trained by our society not to do is to express affection, specifically feelings of lovingness and loneliness and sadness. Um, so I'm wondering, um, Corey, if you have any thoughts on ways in which men can express affection without it feeling like they are, I don't know, being effeminate or, you know, for lack of a better term, being girly or being feminine in some way. It's such an important question. And, you know, years and years ago, when we started talking to people about the ways that they showed affection to others, we had in mind that we would end up with two broad categories of behavior. There are verbal ways and nonverbal ways. So I tell you I love you or I give you a hug. But what we, what we quickly realized in people's stories was that there was a third category which we might think about as showing affection through action, through, uh, through the doing rather than the saying. And, and, and this would include things like, I show affection to my brother by hanging out with him and spending time with him. We don't have to be doing anything, but we can just be sitting and watching television. Or maybe we take a road trip together, or we always go to the baseball game together, or we focus our uh, expressions of affection around something that's external to us rather than a verbalization or a direct expression of our feelings. And that's a category of affectionate behavior that might be easy to discount. Uh, many people, I think, have the sense that, yeah, I mean, it's fine if people do me a favor or if they come hang out with me or we take a road trip together, but what I really want is someone to tell me that they love me. What I really want is someone to put their arm around me. And it's easy to think that. And, and, and of course, many people value certain expressions of affection more than others. But what we came to understand relative to your question is that in many relationships between men, so this could be male-male friends, it could be a father and son, it could be between brothers, not only was this action-oriented category of affectionate expression, not only was it the most common in their relationships, it was also the most valued. So many men would say, I may not tell my brother that I love him, I never really hug my dad, but I know that he loves me and he knows that I love him because of these things that we do together. Mm. And those can take on almost the aura of a, of a tradition within a relationship that we do these things together and we both understand that they are indicators of our underlying feelings of affection. And so what we found is that that's how many men deal with the sense that those more overt affectionate behaviors may be too risky. Mm -hmm. They may be seen as less masculine. They may invite ridicule, for instance. But 
that they can sort of slip it in under the radar. We sometimes talk about it as being covert affection. Um, but, but being covert doesn't mean that it's less common and it absolutely doesn't mean that it's less meaningful. For many men and in many male-male relationships, that's the primary vehicle for meeting their need to communicate their love and their caring for each other. Wow, I think that that can't be stated enough. Um, unfortunately, yeah, we do we do have a, an affection deprivation problem, specifically as it relates to male-male relationships. And so um, acknowledging that these actions serve as a form of affection and, and, and really coming to terms with that can be big. I think about an interview that you do, boy, this must have been in 2017, uh, an interview that you did with, what was it, CBS Sunday Morning, I think it was, uh, where you talked about things like the side hug and the bro hug, right? Where like right. Now, now it's okay in a male-male relationship to hug your male friend because it is the bro hug. And those specific outlets, I would argue, over time, allow us, and by us I mean men, allow men to engage in affectionate expressions and then over time that teaches them that, hey, it's okay to express these things and you're not less of a man for doing it. And I think that there's a lot to be gained by coming to that realization. You know, the bro hug is a really interesting behavior. And for those who aren't familiar with it, I can sort of describe it as, say, James, you and I approaching each other and maybe we uh, shake hands or clasp hands and then we use our, our free arm to go around the back and pat each other on the back once or twice. It's very sort of mechanical. It's almost uh, combative in a way. Um but I think it really it did evolve as a way for men to express the affection that they feel toward each other while still embodying or enacting this sense of strength and uh, competitiveness, a lack of vulnerability that is really uh, sort of endemic to masculinity. And one of the things that I find really fascinating about the bro hug is that I have only ever observed this kind of hug between two men. Mm. I've never seen two women do it. I've never seen a man and a woman do it. I think the fact that it occurs at all is actually some evidence of our culture transitioning away from toxic masculinity, because I think about my father, for instance, and when he was a young man, this kind of behavior was almost never observed. It was certainly never observed on television. Um, when we look around in our culture, it's a fairly new kind of behavior. And I think the fact that it has emerged, I take that as a, as a positive sign. That's great, and I think you make a really good point about us transitioning away. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but one final thing I wanted to ask you about relates back to uh, what we've been sort of dancing around this whole time as it pertains to loneliness and, and, and the need for affection. We have a global pandemic, and more people are alone now than ever before. How can we effectively and appropriately express affection in the era of COVID-19 and still get those good hormones that we desperately crave? 
Well, it's it's a constant challenge. And I think that the answer is we have to make use of what's available to us. So I have been so thankful during this pandemic that we have technologies like Zoom and Skype uh, available to us. If we had gone through this period 20 years ago, it would have been a lot harder because we don't have those abilities to talk to, to see expressions, to hear the tone of voice that we can when we're using Zoom or Skype or, or FaceTime. Uh, and I think the fact that people have innovated with those technologies to do things like virtual happy hours or moving watching parties or things like that is really, you know, on one hand, it's really encouraging. On the other hand, it's a real testament to the fact that this need for social connection is so fundamental that we will innovate any way that we have to to meet that need, even if it's a, a manner that is um, sort of less than ideal or an imperfect solution. Mm. Uh, and now I think as things are starting to open up, fortunately we're able to be around other people a little bit more. Um, I find a lot of times people asking, is it okay if we hug? And I think that's just gonna be our normal for a while. I think you're 100% right. So I wanna thank uh, my guest, Dr. Corey Floyd, his book, The Loneliness Cure, is available on Amazon. I highly suggest you give it a read. Um, I really appreciate you having here. Next week, we will follow up with a discussion on cuddling. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.